Well, we're continuing our summer series on the subject of Jesus encounters, and uh, we're going to look at a passage today that's going to tie into those little lunch bags that you have uh, in, uh, on the floor in front of you. And so we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 6. We're going to put it on the screen, and we're going to read it responsively. So let's look up at the screen, shall we? Let's read together. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So this is a familiar story, and I'm just going to quickly walk through the story. There are four key characters in the story. The first one is not just a personal character, but it's actually a group. And so the first group I want to isolate upon is that of the rowdy crowd. It was a large crowd. We're told there were 5,000 men, uh, not counting the women and children. So in all actuality, this probably was a group that could have approached as many as 10,000 people. And it was a great crowd, of course, because of the miracles that he had performed. If we heard that there was a miracle worker downtown Cocado, we would all go out to see what he was doing, would we not? We'd be kind of curious. And so perhaps there's some free health care that is going to be provided. So it drew a great crowd. And by the end of the day, this crowd was hungry. And we're, we know this, that hunger does some very strange things, does it not? Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament of Jacob and Esau. Esau had spent the whole day out in the field. He came back, hadn't had any success hunting, and he was hungry. His brother, uh, younger brother Jacob was making lentil soup, and, and Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Lentil soup, I mean, you know, for a, a ribeye. Or, uh, you know, filet, you know, you could probably justify it. But for lentil soup, I mean, this man was really famished. And, of course, you've heard the expression that, you know, you shouldn't go grocery shopping when you're really hungry because you're going to come home spending a whole lot more money on just junk that you really shouldn't be eating. So hunger does some strange things to people. So we've got this very large group of people at the end of the day are very hungry. This is a rowdy crowd. Now, the second character is Philip. I call him Bean Counter Philip. 
he is described by others who have studied his life that he is the practical. He is the pragmatic disciple. Uh, when you look at the different places in the Gospels where there is some insight into his personality, this is what people describe him as being. Philip moves slowly, cautiously. He is never ready to take one step forward unless he can be sure of his ground. Philip is tense, practical, scientific, full of common sense. And so Jesus knows Philip's personality. He sees the crowd, and he looks directly at Philip, and he says, Philip, what should we do to feed these people? And so Philip, with his bean counter eyes, he looks over, and he says, two, four, six, yeah, eight months' salary would be insufficient to feed this large a crowd. I did a little research. The median household income for Wright County is $82,000 which would mean eight months salary would be you'd have to have about $50,000 just to give each person a small hors d'oeuvre late in the day. So Jesus here knows Philip well, and he is seeking for Philip's tendencies to be exposed. Now, this is really important for us to understand, because Jesus understood these 12 men so very, very well, and he knows their temperaments and their tendencies in the same way that Jesus knows ours. And he is trying to expose Philip's tendencies, not to shame him. Jesus would never shame a person. But by exposing his tendencies, it would then reveal to Philip areas in which he would want to grow. And that's what Jesus does to us as well. He puts us in situations where our tendencies are revealed so that as they are revealed, it becomes the impetus for us to say, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, will you bring transformation to that tendency that I have in my old self? And so that's what's happening here. Third character is the boy with the bagged lunch. We know this. He comes from a poor family. It's illustrated in the fact that his loaves were barley rather than wheat. You see, wealthy families used wheat flour rather than barley flour. So uh, these roll, these were these loaves were really the size of a small dinner roll. He had five of them, and then he had two small fish, probably taken from the Sea of Galilee, uh, size of sardines. They would have been salted and dried, and so it's a pretty nice bag lunch for a boy. So the story tells us that there's a boy from a poor family who still has his lunch late in the day. Now, let's not gloss over that. A growing boy still has his lunch at the end of the day. If you've raised boys, you know the volume of consumption that is possible. You can't keep enough milk in the house for a growing boy. And some parents who have growing boys, they're wondering if the real miracle in this story is the boy having his lunch at the end of the day? <laughs> so, and then we come to the fourth character, audacious Andrew. You've got to love Andrew, don't you? My question is, as I think about this story, there's probably upwards of 10,000 people there. And there's one boy who has 
a little lunch with him. How in the world did Andrew find him in that crowd? And as Andrew learned that there was a boy with this small little bag lunch, and he realizes that he's going to need about $50,000 to feed this crowd, just a, a small morsel, what was he thinking? I mean, who would dare to take a little lunch like that and give it to Jesus? I mean, it's just so out of my wheelhouse that I find it almost incomprehensible to think that Andrew would do that. So in this story, we've got the contrast between Philip and, and Andrew. And Philip is this practical, common sense, realistic, bean counter guy. And then you've got Andrew, this audacious man of possibility and opportunity. And so which one do we gravitate to? We all have tendencies. We probably gravitate towards one or the other. And so we're told in the story that people ate as much as they wanted. You know, there, there was not a mother who was saying to her son, hey, leave some for your brother. None of that. They just piled on. They just loaded up. They, they went back for seconds. They ate as much as they wanted. I mean, this was an all-you-can-eat buffet. And they were satisfied before the food ran out so that there were 12 baskets that were collected. I think we can surmise that each disciple brought a basket back and set it before Jesus. Now, they had seen the five loaves and the two fish, and then they saw the distribution of the food, and then they came back, and they realized that there was more leftovers than what they began with. What an incredible, incredible learning experience for these disciples. So that's the story. Two takeaways for us as we think about this story. We all have stuff. We all have stuff that if we were to surrender that stuff to Jesus, it would take Jesus and his story further down the road. Do you know that? That's what would happen. We all have stuff that would take the message of Jesus further and further to the ends of the earth. I'm wondering if there might be in heaven a museum, a museum that would have some of the great objects from the Bible, the staff of Moses, the sling of David, the jawbone of Samson, Rahab's rope, the basin that Jesus used to wash the feet of the disciples, the basket that led Jesus down outside of Jerusalem when they were looking for him to kill him, maybe the Tupperware container of this boy and his bag lunch. And I'm wondering if it's possible that some of the stuff that you've got could also be included in that museum in heaven. So I want you to take out that bag, that lunch bag of yours. And hopefully you wrote some things on those slips of paper. 
And as you look at those slips, and children, I'm glad you're doing it as well because you know what? Some of you are about the age of this small boy. And so this is very much for you as it is for your parents and your grandparents. And as you look at what you wrote on that slip of paper, I'm wondering if it's possible that one of those items or more of those items, if you were to surrender that over to Jesus, that it would be used in such a significant way that it would be included in the museum of heaven next to some of those items we've already identified. Would that not be great? That your stuff can move Jesus and his story further down the road. Now, for that to occur, however, there's going to be two significant hurdles that you're going to have to overcome. They're both very real. The first hurdle is the hurdle of risk. Now, here's a boy who, at the end of the day, still had his lunch. And so when he relinquished that lunch to, to Jesus or to Andrew to give to Jesus, I'm wondering if he was thinking, will there be enough for me? He, you know, we don't know how poor he was. We don't know how much food was in the shelves at home. And by missing that meal, was he going to miss supper as well? We, we just don't know. But, but the point is that, that, we, that this was a boy who was taking a risk. Will I get the Tupperware container back? Will mom be angry at me if it's lost? I mean, these are the sorts of things that are real risks. And it's important for us to know that to give ourselves and to give our stuff to Jesus, I, I, I want you to know it is risky. I make no bones about that. To, to be a follower of Jesus and to give your stuff to him, make him the owner of it, and you're just a steward of it, that's always risky because he might do something with it that you would prefer not to have done. But there is a risk. That's the hurdle. But there's also a, a second hurdle. And it is the hurdle of insignificance. Andrew was wondering, is... What can this do for so many? It's so little, but there's so much need. And yet, they chose to give it to Jesus, and Jesus did wonderful things with it. Did you know that of all the miracles that Jesus performed, this is the only miracle that is included in all four of the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saw that this miracle was so incredibly significant that it was included in each of the Gospels. There's a message to us there that nothing that we give to Jesus is ever insignificant. As small as it might seem to us and to someone else, it is never insignificant to Jesus. I assure you it's never insignificant. It's valuable because it represents you. And he knows the risk that is associated with you giving that up. And he honors that kind of faith in you that says, I'm going to give it over to you, Jesus. And he does wonderful things with that. So earlier this morning, the membership voted upon a new budget for this next year. And as part of this worship service, the deacons shared with you what they believe would be 
plans and aspirations, part of God's vision for this next year. So we've got two pieces. And the third piece is your little bag. And I'm wondering today if you would see the connection between what's in your bag, a budget that was approved, and plans for the next year. And so I want you to look at those sheets of paper again, what's on it. And in the quietness of this moment, would you just have some conversation with Jesus, understanding that he might be asking you to give up something. It might be a toy, not giving it away, but giving it up in service to him. It might be some possessions. It might be a bank account. It might be an interest. It might be music, art. I don't know what it is, but whatever is important to you, that Jesus is asking you today to give it to him and let him use it in a significant way. Let's pray. Children, I'm glad that you're here today because there might be something that you can do that you can share with Jesus and it'll help the story of Jesus getting down the road. One of the things I loved in my life was athletics. God gave me the opportunity not only to, to play but to coach, to coach kids with that to shape young boys' lives. And I want you to know today that Jesus will take what you have. If you give it and surrender, he'll use it. Lord, thank you for this story. A story about a boy who stepped far ahead of those 12 disciples and gave to you. Lord, how you use that. Lord, this is a holy moment for us as a church. We think of, Lord, this beautiful facility, a great resource. We think of a budget that's been approved. And yet, Lord, there's the greatest resource of all, which is the skill, the talent, the spiritual gifts of this body. Lord, may each person here overcome the hurdle in order to experience the joy of seeing Jesus being carried further and further and further into this world. And so, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, as people look at what they've written on those slips of paper, may they wrestle well with what your Spirit is saying. And, Lord, may the end of this service, each one of us be able to say, I'd rather have you. I'd rather have you than anything. In Jesus' name we pray.